it's really important to remember that you're not doing it for yourself. You know, you're doing it for the people around you and, and to feel really in touch with that. Um, that's what keeps me motivated because I don't know, it's just not that interesting to see your name appear in print. Um, it's much more interesting to know that, you know, you get that thank you email from someone who says like, thank you for saying that for me. You know, I, I feel so much better that you're there in the state house fighting for us. And, you know, you, you made me feel seen or just seeing the way that your family is, you know, makes me know that I can have that family someday. Like, those are the things that are really motivating to me. When Rebecca Cuoco won her race to represent the 21st District in the New Hampshire State Senate in 2020, she was the first openly LGBTQ plus woman elected to a state-level seat in that state. Her state-level win came after serving two terms on the Portsmouth City Council, and she's also been a workforce and affordable housing advocate for over a decade. I'm Dr. Max Cloud, Senior Director of Leadership Development at New Politics, a bipartisan organization dedicated to revitalizing American democracy by recruiting, supporting, and electing servant leaders who put community and country over self. On every episode of this podcast, I sit down with a servant leader who has chosen to serve again through politics, and today I have the honor and privilege of talking with New Hampshire State Representative Rebecca Quoka. Rebecca has a fascinating background. She grew up in Exeter, New Hampshire, where her family owned the local Dairy Queen. And Rebecca grew up working there and continued working there up to 30 hours a week, even when she was enrolled at Phillips Exeter Academy, the elite private school in town. She learned a lot about small business management from that kind of upbringing, and it served well when she enrolled as a Peace Corps volunteer in West Africa, where she spent two years supporting small business development in Senegal. Rebecca then went on to law school at Cornell in a career focused on affordable housing. Recognizing that the city council had the power to affect zoning, she decided to jump into the arena and won a seat on the Portsmouth City Council, where she found herself with a voice and a vote on the issues that she had been working on for years. When the seat opened up for her district at the state level, she was strongly encouraged to run and ended up winning her seat at a time when she and her wife had a young child at home and another baby on the way. In this interview, Rebecca talks about her unique upbringing, what she learned about leadership from her time in the Peace Corps, and what it was like to be the first openly LGBTQ plus woman elected to the New Hampshire State Senate. She's a remarkable servant leader, and I'm thrilled to have her on our show today. Rebecca Quoka, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast. Thank you so much for having me, Max. I'm looking forward to our conversation. And here's where I always start on these podcasts, which is what's your earliest memory of learning the value of service? Oh, that's such an interesting question, Max. Um, you know, I often wonder sort of where my feeling of, of duty came from, you know, mm. but I did, I grew up in a, big family and I wonder if, if that had something to do with it um you know I, I only have one brother in my immediate family but um I grew up around a lot of cousins and uncles and great aunts and uncles um on my mom's Italian side of the family and so even from a little age you know we just sort of took care of our elders and you know we always kind of understood that things were easier for us than for them and so it, you know mm. it was better for us to help them out so I wonder if that was part of it, you know. Um, but my my parents were also divorced. So I just I feel like a lot of people 
contributed to my growing up and the opportunities I've had. And I always just kind of feel like I want to make sure that I give back and do what I can to help other people. Awesome. Awesome. So you grew up in New Hampshire and it's a a cool fact of your life. Your family owned and operated the Exeter Dairy Queen. Um, And amazingly, you went to Exeter, the the private school, but you were also working sometimes 30 hours a week in high school at the Dairy Queen. Tell us about those early years and how you feel like those experiences shaped you. Yeah. um, Well, I certainly, I certainly learned how to work hard, you know, Um, and I think being part of the team that was our little family really kind of taught me that sometimes they're just there isn't another way to do something. You just kind of have to put your nose to the grindstone and do what needs to get done, you know? Um, so I think that, you know, while it was a lot to learn while I was so young, I'm also really grateful for sort of the, um, the ability to show up where you need to be, you know, plan your time around um, all the various places you need to be and sort of be present for where I needed at the time you know and it was it was hard you know I used to have school six days a week and um, I played on a couple of sports teams and then sometimes after I got out of class like at 6 p.m on a Monday or Tuesday well that sometimes very often I would go over to you know our restaurant and relieve whoever was there and then close the restaurant up and you know then I'd get home around 9 30 or 10 and, and do my homework and then get up and do it all over again and it was really just because my mom didn't really have anyone else to count on, you know, and so I knew it was what needed to happen. It was always interesting on days like where, you know, school would be off for principal's day or something because <laughs> inevitably, you know, students from the high school would stop by the, the dairy queen with like their sure. door meter or something, sure. you know, to get ice cream cones and stuff. And so I, I'd be there working and they'd be there visiting and, um, or sometimes on Friday nights, you know, my friends would all go out bowling and then, you know, they'd stop by to kind of say hi to me because I was at work. So, it, you know, it was it was hard work. But I think, um, again, I'm just kind of grateful that so early in my life, I kind of understood that sometimes you just got to do what you got to do, you know, and um, and you know, kind of kind of learn that faith in yourself to to do all the things that sometimes you do. Right. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> right. Amazing. And on behalf of my 10 year old daughter and 12 year old son, I have to ask, how many times would you just give yourself some free ice cream? Would you just serve yourself? <laughs> well, usually, like if I came home at night, you know, I'd bring like a little tiny ice cream for each of the three of us. You know, nice. we'd have ice cream. Nice. But, yeah, I still love ice cream. <laughs> how can you not? How can you not? <laughs> awesome. Awesome. It's kind of my kid's dream job is to work at Dairy Queen. It's great. <laughs> So tell us how you ended up in the Peace Corps. You ended up spending a, a couple of years in Senegal and West Africa. How did that choice happen? Yeah, um, I would say a combination of a bunch of things. But um, when I was graduating from Dartmouth, you know, I, as is probably evidenced by the, the work at Dairy Queen, you know, I had a little different background than a lot of the right. students that would be at Dartmouth, you know, and I think. For them, you know, they had mommies and daddies who had worked in offices and, you know, sort of like had 
professional connections. Maybe they lived in cities and they kind of knew how everything worked. And honestly, I, I, I was sort of on a different page. I was just kind of trying to figure that all out. You know, my dad and mom both worked at the Dairy Queen and then my dad was in real estate for a little while, but they never really were like, you know, um, I guess sort of people that networked and did all that stuff. So right, right. I think in trying to figure that piece out, um, you know, in combination with sort of this feeling that I wanted to do something that mattered. And um, at the time, you know, we had just had 9-11 while I was in college. Mm. Um, you know, we were at war in Afghanistan. We were at war in Iraq. And, and those were both new um new constitutions were being written in both places and sort of the question of like conversion to democracy was happening and all that was really really interesting to me and sort of how the how do you create rule of law or civil society in the ground in a place that hasn't practiced that and doesn't have sort of the lions clubs and you know church groups and soccer teams that um that America kind of relies on, you know, to create a civil society. So all that was kind of combined. Um, and I wanted to, I wanted to be somewhere in the world where I could learn more about Islam and, and sort of how that was different from how mm. we grew up. And so someone kindly said to me, like, <laughs> you know, you would be a great Peace Corps volunteer. And um, I, I didn't have any idea what that meant, but I was intrigued, you know, and so I just sort of, started to find out more and um you know I had happened to take some years of French when I was younger and so that was kind of a plus to put me in like a French speaking place and um and I was interested in business and economic development and how that helped people kind of um improve their lives and so Peace Corps interviewed me and they kind of came back with this opportunity to be in in Senegal West Africa which is it is a Muslim country for the most part. There's about 5% of the population that practices Catholicism. Um, and they had an opening for me to be what was called a small business development volunteer. And they said, you know, having grown up the way you did in your own small business, um, you know, you have a lot of skills you don't even know about mm. that can sort of help entrepreneurs on the ground over there. And so I said, okay. <laughs> and um, they had the opportunity to kind of travel you know, right after I got out of college and I, I was thrilled with the idea. Um, my parents were not, <laughs> you know, they, they okay. kind of thought I was graduating from an Ivy League school and go do something like have a corporate job in one of the big cities, right. you know? Um, but I think I, I just, that held no pull for me. I know I, I wanted to do something that mattered and, um, and I felt like it was a unique time in your life. You know, when else do you not have, you know, a mortgage or sure. you know like credit card obligations or kids or whatever it is that you have you know i mean it's a, it's a unique time so i felt lucky and um and they said yes and honestly it was one of the best things i'll probably ever do in my life it was it was great so tell us a little more. You know, I think for a lot of folks, Peaks Core remains a really kind of exotic experience that they don't understand. Like, what did you wake up and do in your efforts to build small businesses? Like, what <laughs> what were you doing? Yeah, yeah. Um, and this is where I start to see the overlaps, you know, between um, the service at that time and and politics and what and what it is in modern life. But in some ways, it is what you make of it, right? I mean, you do have a job. Your job is to be there and to help, but 
Um, but that, that leaves a lot to your discretion and to your sort of self-starter start, attitude, you know, and ability to kind of figure out what's needed. And so, um, so for my part, I mean, what I eventually ended up doing um, in my second year was working largely with women's groups and with um, vocational high school students. And um, I did that largely in Wolof, which is the local language there, um, because wow. most women, you know, don't complete school, and so they don't know French. And frankly, I didn't really either. You know, <laughs> I almost, you know, I almost got better at Wolof just because that's what everybody was speaking around me all the time. Um, and you know, I think for high school students, they were interested in what was next. You know, like how would they build a life how would they build a family when there's really no sort of formal economy you know there's very few salary jobs um and so it's sort of they're sort of looking at life going what do I do with myself you know and so with a vocational skill they had the opportunity potentially to start a business you know or to go into business together and so um we spent a lot of time talking about that there was a sort of a simplified monopoly style game we would play together where, you know, they would go through an iteration of like four different weeks and they made spending decisions between investment in their business and, and savings and sort of spending on their family. Mm. And, and at the end, you know, the result is supposed to indicate that like the more you invest in your business, you know, the more it, it returns to right. you um, just to kind of help them understand those concepts. And, um, and so I would, I would kind of connect like little courses that would be, you know, a certain number of sessions. And I made up a thing where I gave them diplomas, you know, at the end. Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. Um, and they thought that was great. Um, and then um, with women's groups, I, I tried to do a similar thing. You know, we, we played that game a little bit, which helped them understand. But they, for the most part, you know, women are a huge driver of the economy in Africa. And so it was, they were, it was helping them understand that you know, they did have skills and they did have financial literacy and they did, you know, have an understanding of what marketing was and, you know, what they were doing. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. They just kind of needed to, to like lean into that stuff and understand like where they were making money and where they weren't and, um, or like what, what would drive them to buy a new piece of equipment? Well, it would be if they could make more money with it in the long run, you know? And so just kind of talking through that stuff with them on an individual basis. Um, was something else I did so it was interesting I mean you know <laughs> you just kind of have to meet people and figure out what to do with your time but that's not so different you know being a policy maker or any other kind of service I think so cool and then here this is a big question but what did you learn about leadership from the Peace Corps and how do you feel like that service experience shaped your character yeah um well, something I've always really appreciated about being in touch with new politics is is that uh, I really identify with the idea of servant leadership, you know, um, through, you know, through your attempt to connect and, and serve others and, and help them get where they're going. You, you realize that there are solutions out there that are not being implemented. You know, you realize that um, there are fear barriers that people can overcome. and so. Um, I've, I've found, 
you know, both in that experience and, you know, sort of serving in elected office that it's not so much that you're a leader because, you know, you put up a banner or you have a title or you say, I'm going to lead on this now. It's, it's because you find that there's a role for you, you know, in this ecosystem that, you know, you are sort of uniquely positioned to fill. And, and in that way, you can lead change that helps, that helps people um on a structural basis you know so that 30 people aren't fighting the same battle you can help remove that barrier you know and then those mm-hmm. 30 people can advance and i think that it's not every day that you find those opportunities in service you know i mean i do think they're in some ways hard to come by and in some ways um everywhere you know right, right. Um, that you can actually actually fix them though it's something that like you have to be at the right level at the right time with the right mix of people around you, you know? Um, but I do think when you, when you sort of identify like, Hey, this is a common problem to a lot of people. Um, that, that's sort of where I view, you know, what leadership is in, in a policy or service sense, you know, and I, sometimes you are the right person to solve that. And sometimes you're not, sometimes you're just connecting people or following up to make sure something goes through. But I think all of those are leadership because, you know, they demonstrate to the people around you that that they matter and that you're willing to invest your time in them, that mm. that what they're thinking is correct and that you agree with them and you and you affirm them, you know. And I think um if you can see next steps that they don't happen to see, which of course happens the reverse all the time, you know, that's that's a way for you to help lead them through a problem even if they end up solving it themselves you know um and so i i find that to be a big part of of all service roles you know and i think each person leads and follows at different times um you know but i think on the in those moments where you're sort of the right right person for the job you know it's important to kind of like step into that and just run with it because you know you can i think you can really help people Love it. Love it. I'm going to come back in a moment to this. Uh, you talk about sometimes you're the right person and sometimes you're not. So I want to bring us back to that. But first, you chose to go to law school. Why law school? What, you know, what was the, what did you hope to do as a lawyer? Yeah. Um, yeah, these are all like big questions, right? It's, it sounds like you, you know what you're doing in retrospect. But um, I think that, I, again, I was sort of driven by this idea, like, what are tools that make an impact, you know, and, and I saw that law and legislation and policy, you know, they matter and they do affect people and they do create equity and they do create inequity, you know, and um and in places where government and the rule of law doesn't work, which used to be confined to some parts of the world, um, but right. you know, is increasingly a problem in other places. Um you know, there there are structural assumptions and, and things that are in place that that allow people to accomplish what they're trying to accomplish more easily in many cases. Um, and so sort of being able to work with that tool and figure out, you know, how I can manipulate it and how I can do that for the good of people, it was always kind of appealing to me because I feel that... Um, you know, at the end of the day, like we all are connected by certain things and um, and our policies all around us are, are one of them. And so 
being involved in that just felt it felt important because it's like a foundation of of what everybody does. Mm. Well, and behold, you go to law school, and that's not. That's <laughs> <laughs> not what you're talking about, right? <laughs> right. I've heard about that. You yeah. <laughs> um, so I would say, you know, I, law school was the right decision for me, but um, but I certainly didn't go to law school and then end up practicing the kind of law I thought I would. That said, I think it's still been a huge help to me as a legislator. Yeah. So let's start talking politics. So you yeah. you served on the Portsmouth City Council. Tell us about the the choice to decide to run and this choice that, hey, I, I think I'm the right person for this. How'd that go yeah. down for you? I know. Well, it's such a big decision and it's it's the key question, right, for everybody. Like, how do I make that decision about right. um, putting my name on the ballot? And 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 it's not to be taken lightly because it is it is a big decision that does involve your whole family and frankly, your whole support system and ecosystem, um, no matter what level you run on. But at the same time, um, I do think it often comes down to this sort of gut feeling like, am I the right person for the job? And I think it's really important to listen to that voice about whether you have skills or a particular issue know-how or whether you're just good at translating, you know, complicated concepts into something people can understand. Those are all mm. really good reasons to run for office. You will always have the voice that says, oh, my God, can I do this? Right. <laughs> you know, right. Because you view yourself as potentially unqualified. Um, you, you don't you just don't know once you're in public, whatever would happen, you know, and, and in 99 percent of cases nothing that interesting will happen to you as a public figure, but right. but you're in the public, you know, and so your, your life sort of takes on a, a different character. And and I think, you know, just the time commitment is intimidating to a lot of people. Um, and yet, you know, all of those things are things you will learn to overcome and you will figure out a way around and what's most important in your life will sort of sort itself into the right buckets. Um, but you can't replace sort of being the right person and being a person that's strongly driven by ethical values and by a sense of service, because, um, you know, if, if you don't run, someone else is going to run Mm -hmm. and someone else is going to sit in the seat that you could have sat in and you don't know what kind of job they're going to do and they might disagree with you on everything. And so it's much better for you to say, Hey, like, I'm going to make this sacrifice. I'm going to do it because I know what I believe and I know I represent a bunch of people. And so it's my time and my turn and I I can do it for a little while, you know, and sort of take that leap. Um, and the rest, the rest will come. I mean, I can remember sitting in my first city council meeting and my heart was pounding because I was still worried that, you know, I was going to get asked to vote on something I didn't understand. And right. that's never happened. You mm. know, it's never happened that I wasn't, prepared and I didn't feel comfortable with the vote I was making. Um, in fact, I often feel overprepared. So, um, so I would just say to people out there, you know, um, it, it is sort of a gut call, but if you think you, you know, you're the right person, then, then do it. <laughs> you Love, know? it. Love it. <laughs> Any advice? I mean, you know, we run an answering the call program that is for servant leaders who are thinking about getting into office and we hear a lot of these kind of doubts and fears and questions. Yep. Any advice yeah. on how to kind of confront that stuff in your soul? <laughs> yeah. Um, 
I mean, some, you know, I don't know if it's enough for everybody, but I do, you know, think about who's around you because you're never going to do this by yourself. And then that's just not going to happen. You need people no matter what level you run at. And whether that's, you know, your five friends who come canvassing with you on the weekend for city council, like I had, or your buddy who can help put your website together or your other friend who, you know, has done some minor fundraising and can at least get you started. You know, all of those people become big parts of your life and, and they all are happy to help, you know, because they, they're not stepping up to run, but they still want to be involved, you know, and they're, and they are in your life around you, you know, Um, Mm -hmm. especially if you're the person thinking about running for office, you probably know who they are. Um, So talk to them and talk to them about how they could help you proceed. You know, I have always had, um, I I don't know, just as much help as I needed, I guess. And Hmm. so that feels good um, to know that I'm kind of surrounded by people who may not be willing to give as much time as I am, but, but are certainly willing to give some if I know how to ask for it, you know? So I think that's important. And then honestly, you know, you're not going to know, you're not going to know what you're doing, but you might still be okay. Um, because I didn't know what I was doing. <laughs> so you, know, you kind of get started and you figure out like how to do a website and how to print a cardboard and how to put up a yard sign and, and like people appear and they give you advice and you, you know, you're just kind of trying to meet everyone and ask all these questions. And, and all of a sudden you kind of know more than you did and, and then you just keep going. And so at the end of the day, I, you know, I just kind of stuck with this idea that like, well, I've always worked hard and I think I can help and I'm just going to keep going with that attitude, you know, mm-hmm. and, and, um, and that's gotten me through four elections. And so now I know more. Now you, <laughs> you know, know more. Right. <laughs> um, Love it. Love it. Think, you know, just put one foot in front of the other. Love it. How do you think your service background informed your approach to campaigning and to governing? How do you think you take that with you into this work? Yeah. Um, all the time, all the time. Um, because it's, I mean, as anyone who pays attention to politics these days can see, um, I think that there are different reasons that people get involved. And um, I know for my part, it, you know, it was exciting for a little while to see your name in the paper. You know, you kind of were like, oh, cool. You know, mm-hmm. um, I'm featured in this article. But for the most part, you know, that's not what drives me. And, and frankly, I am, have always been a fairly private and introverted person. So a lot of this has been kind of an adjustment to me. And I, I feel like um, I've learned the skills that I need to kind of adapt and I, and I'm always getting better, but, um, but I see in others around me that, that those sort of individual um, accolades or, or sort of praise are, are more important, you know, and I think that it's, it's really important to remember that you're not doing it for yourself, you know, you're doing it for the people around you and, and to feel really in touch with that. Um, that's what keeps me motivated because um, I don't know, it's just not that interesting to see your name appear in print. Mm. Um, it's much more interesting to know that, you know, you get that thank you email from someone who says like, thank you for saying that for me, you know, 
I I feel so much better that you're there in the state house fighting for us. Um, and you know, you you made me feel seen, or just seeing the way that your family is, you know, makes me know that I can have that family someday. Like those are the things that are really motivating to me. Um, and so to me, those are all service, right? Those are all, yeah. you, you know, you're standing in the place of somebody because they can't do it at that moment and, and you can, and so you do. Um, but that doesn't mean you'll always be able to, you know, I think someday I'll be too busy or it won't be the right time for our family and someone else will do it. And, right. um, and I think in that moment, you know, you want to make sure you thank them too. But, um, I just, I think about that concept a lot because I do see stuff that's obviously motivated by potentially a little bit more, other reasons. Uh, yes. <laughs> yeah. yeah, absolutely. Um, motivation and I wish it was less so. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, it's the whole reason for new politics of folks who have made the choices like you have made to be of service and bring that to politics. Cause we know it's not what everybody shows up with. Um, but, you know, I can't resist asking, we, we do have a lot of folks who worry that they'll get in f- into it for the right reasons and then just turn into somebody they don't want to be. And how often do you, I mean, you've now won four elections, you've served at a city council, and as we'll talk about soon in the state Senate, how often do you feel like you're kind of getting pulled off your, your out of integrity or, or at risk of kind of losing that commitment to serve others? Yeah. Um, it's, it's such a relevant question. Um, and so far the answer really is, is hardly ever. Mm. Um, but I will say you also have to protect against people feeling like you're doing that and, Mm. um, and making sure that you're communicating all the time, you know, about what you're doing. So for my part, um, I, I've hardly ever taken a vote that, I felt uncomfortable with, you know, at the end of the day, like you might get caught in a situation where people feel, um, you know, like they want you to do this thing. That's a little questionable, um, because of the urgency of something or because of special circumstances, but in the long run, you know, each, each situation is created in that moment. And, um, and you know, it, it's not, it's often not as urging or, um, or <laughs> it's this or nothing, you know, mm, as it mm-hmm. seems. And so, um, there's been a couple of votes, for example, like this legislative session where, um, you know, people feel differently about law enforcement, for example, or people feel differently about balancing business and, and environmental issues. Um, but in the long run, for me, there's a right answer to those, right? I mean, the right answer is that we will eventually need some some law enforcement reform. And so it, taking the long view, it's easy for me. Like, I know that those are things that need to happen um, in order for all of the members of our community of color to feel safe. So while it may feel like in that moment, really, you know, there's political pressure to do one thing or the other, um, I... I I don't feel that, you know, I Mm. feel like I know what the right answer is. And, and I think your voters, yes, they vote for you because you agree with them. That's part of it. But your voters also support you if you talk to them and if you communicate with them, you know, and I think that's something that I've had to learn as an elected official and just to make sure that, you know, you're getting, you're getting communications that 
reflect, you know, the values of your community and that you're, you're reflecting those, but then also like you're listening if there's feedback that people are like, Oh, you know, I, I wish you didn't take that vote, which I honestly have not gotten a lot of, um, really? but I wish, you know, I wish you hadn't taken that vote because X, Y, Z. Well, I, you know, you have to listen to that too. And mm-hmm. another example is that, you know, a majority of my district feels very strongly that they do want common sense gun reform, you know, but there are portions of my district that believe, you know, their second amendment rights are being curtailed. So I I feel like you have to listen to both of those, but I know what I think on that issue. And I think we've seen way too much mass murder in the country. I think 90% of us agree on what needs to be done about it. And that, Mm -hmm. you know, there are changes that were proposed in this session that aren't going to move that in the right direction. And so (laughs) I'm not going to vote for them, you know? And so I think just, you have to feel, you have to feel that you know what you believe, but, um, but also communicate. And I think if you do those things, um, you know, I just, I haven't found that to be a problem at all, but, you know, I I can understand how the question comes up, but just remember, it's always you. You know, yep. it's always you. You're the one making the decision. There's not someone else. <laughs> right, right, right. Um, you know, no matter how much pressure you're under. So love it, love it. And it sounds like yeah. if you know who you are and you can maintain a kind of perspective, most of the time the stuff is pretty clear, which is helpful for folks to hear. Yeah, I, I, it felt that way to me. Yeah, great. So tell me about the decision to run for state senate after a, a couple rounds at the city council. How did that happen? <laughs> Yeah. Um, and again, you want there to be a profound right answer, right? Um, well, like most women, I, I, when this opportunity came up, I said no, probably a couple times. Mm-hmm. Um, but essentially what happened was that uh, this the longtime senator from our district was retiring. And so she had always been um, sort of a policy mentor of mine. We happened to have overlapping areas of expertise and so we had worked together there had been a couple of issues we had disagreed on locally which is also interesting but um but when she was going to retire um my name just kind of quickly became part of the conversation which um was interesting for me because I had a nine-month-old daughter (laughs) (laughs) taking a step back you know Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. um, spending time with my family over the next few years so it was a hard decision, honestly. And, um, and I did say no, because I felt like I had already asked a lot of my support system. Um, you know, maybe it was time to, like I said, just take a break and, and be more of, be more of the support system instead of asking for support. But the more people I talked to, um, you know, and, and I think you hear this story over and over, but there was sort of a, you know, a sort of a feeling that I I represented people that needed a voice right then. You know, I mean, I'm the first ever openly um, LGBTQ woman elected yep. to our New Hampshire State Senate. Um, you know, as I mentioned, I have a very young daughter and, um, and I knew we'd be having more children and I'm actually almost eight months pregnant right now. Wow. Um, so. <laughs> Amazing. Um, Amazing. Okay. <laughs> And so that's been a very interesting um, time and place to be in, you know, as our state has unfortunately been considering an abortion ban, you know, right. after 24 weeks, I, that directly affects me. 
Um, and, and just other reasons, you know, I mean, people wanted to see more women in office. We were, we weren't hearing about other women that were getting in the race. Um, and I don't know, there were just a bunch of people that like really believed in me. And, um, and so I said, okay, you know, (laughs) um, I guess I'll just try this because I, my wife said to me, um, you know, if this is something you're ever going to be interested in, you know, you have people on your side right now who want to see you do this. And so this is you your know, shot. You should do it. It's your time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. And that was really what stuck with me because she's right. You just don't know what's coming down the pike. And the single most important person to me that I would want on board, you know, would be my wife. And if, if she was yeah. the one pushing me, you yep. know, yep. Um, then that's really meaningful. And so I had a lot of conversations. I just gave the advice to have, you know, can you help me with this? Can you help me with that? Can, yep. can you give me money? Like, you know, I went around and sort of did like an initial fundraising tester set of meetings because, you know, for city council, I, I had to raise about $4,000 for my Senate run. I had to raise 112. So yeah. that was a really different a undertaking. Mm-hmm. Yep. And, um, and I didn't, I didn't frankly know whether I could do that or, you know, what it entailed, but, but those initial fundraising conversations went really, really well too. And so, um, and so I decided to, to jump in. And when I did, there was nobody else in the field. Um, and then on the very last day, <laughs> like in the last hour, I ended up with a primary opponent. And so that you know, completely changed the race, but, um, but it was a super interesting race and I, I feel so grateful for all of it. And I'm so glad I did it, even though I initially said no. Yeah. Know? Yeah. Amazing. Um, yeah. So it is, we are having this conversation during pride month in 2021 and yeah. <clears throat> do yeah. want to talk to you a little bit more about this of, you know, when you won your election in 2020, you were the first openly LGBTQ woman to uh, get elected. What was it like running as a kind of out member of the LGBT plus community in New Hampshire? Yeah, um, I have to say it was very welcoming. Um, and, you know, I think that my particular story is that, you know, I sort of, I don't know, came out or sort of fell in love with my wife late in life. You know, I was 33 and um, <laughs> I've always gone through that publicly um and i i feel like that's been an important part of my story because to me you know we are a family just like every other family we live our lives extremely similarly to so many families you know so that's that's important for me to to help people understand and to sort of show them um and it's been really it's been a source of really meaningful connections too i mean i i've had young women who, you know, they'll send me notes that say, I identify as queer and I want to have a family someday. And it's really neat for me to see like how you guys are doing this and, um, Mm -hmm. you know, that you've been so accepted. So, so it's been a really, I would say, um, positive and, and neat part of my journey. Um, you know, there's been virtually no sort of negative side to it. Um, but I do think it's been, 
you know, it's been a source of like some <laughs> conversations where people learn things as well. And um, especially I think when you're in environments where, you know, people just don't, you're not familiar with everything right. that you need to do, for example, as a woman married to a woman to have a baby. Like that's, mm-hmm. that's mm-hmm. a lot of science involved in that, you know. And so uh, what's interesting about that too is, you know, things like, well, it's obvious that we, you know, had to go through an IVF process. So even heterosexual couples will come to you and say, hey, you know, I had to do IVF too. So it's it's been a source of connection and, and um, learning. And, and for me, that's been kind of a gratifying because yeah it's neat to like help people grow and share and help me grow and share you know in that way it's great and there is this theme with you rebecca of like there's fears and doubts and then it all works out (laughs) seems to be like you know i think it's powerful for people to hear that this stuff uh um can go smoothly it's great yeah yeah well of course there's fear you know it's scary to like launch yourself into the public sphere um and you know after my primary people would like they started to recognize me when i would go places and yeah you know it's just kind of weird because you're never anonymous again um but that's okay people are really nice you know? mm-hmm. <laughs> i just want to say like hey i'm so glad you ran or i'm so excited you won you know and so um and so it's not a bad thing i, I found it to be really cool awesome it's awesome um what advice do you have for any LGBTQ plus listeners out there who are looking at the headlines and thinking, maybe I should, maybe I'm the right person. What would you say to them? Yeah, I'd say we need your voice at the table. Um, and you know, I am part of a very small LGBTQ caucus up in the New Hampshire legislature. I think there's eight or 10 of us and, um, we're watching issues that other people aren't watching. You know, I, our our IVF wasn't covered in the same way as um, as um, heterosexual couples mm-hmm. would have been under insurance, and so that was something that I've been working with the advocates on this year, and I might bring legislation on next year. It's not that another lawmaker would never think of that, but it's not their lived experience. Right. You know, it's it's our lived experience, and so um, you bring you bring that knowledge to the table, regardless of what your other qualifications or trepidations are. And that, that has value because it will affect other people, you know? Um, and so never doubt that your voice and your unique story add something because they do, you know? And, and again, if you don't run, someone else is going to run and they, they might be a perfectly good person, but they might not have your unique set of experiences or, or your policy ideas or your work ethic, you know, and so what you have and what you are, you know, that, that has value to this process and your voice matters. So I would say do it. (laughs) Awesome. Awesome. It's great. And, you know, another theme that comes up from a lot of the servant leaders we work with is, you know, what will this do to my family? Uh, Should I choose to run for office? And so you're a, you're a mom with a, you know, a young kid and another one on the way. What advice do you have to those folks who are asking themselves that question and see that as a barrier? Sure. Um, Well, I can't, I can't tell you it's always easy. That's not, um, that's not something I can let slip out of my mouth, but, um, but it's worth it. And, you know, if you're 
partner or your husband or your wife, or your spouse is in with you, then you can do it. Um, mm-hmm. If they have hesitations, you know, you guys need to, you need to visit on that and sort it out because it is going to be about choices all the time. And mm-hmm. it's going to be stuff like, okay, I have this 7 PM zoom, um, you know, sorry, I need to get up from the dinner table now, or no, we can't go to that barbecue on Saturday because I have to go to this event at the park, you know, um, or geez, I just got home from a 10 hour day up at the legislature, but now I have a state committee meeting. I'm sorry, I can't relieve you with the baby yet, you know, and those are real things. And I think you have to know that, um, your spouse is going to absorb them. And, you know, that's the conversation we were ready to have because I had served at the local level. So we sort of knew some of the stuff involved, you know, going in this time. And, and luckily I have a partner who utterly believes that I have something to add and, and thinks all this is worth it and <laughs> does everything she possibly can. And so mm-hmm. um, I'm lucky, but even in that circumstance, you know, it's, it's still a lot. And so I think having that conversation is important. That said, you know, our life is so full and so rich with all these interesting things that we wouldn't have without all those choices. You know, we wouldn't have the chance to walk down the street and know so many people in our community. We wouldn't get invited to like award ceremonies for these super cool tax credit projects. You know, we wouldn't go to cemeteries to hear these neat ceremonies on holidays. Like there's all this stuff that, um, that you do and that you're a part of and that you're aware of and that you can sort of follow going on around you because, you know, because you've made this choice to step into the arena and, and for us, like all that stuff is just, it's so cool. We get to walk in the Christmas parade, you know, and stuff like that. And it's it's fun for us. And, um, and so I just, it gives us something to, to talk about too. Like we, you know, my wife is such a trusted advisor of me uh, on so many things. And I mm. say, geez, I don't know how to respond to this. Or remember, I was telling you about that policy issue where, well, here's what happened. And, you know, I'm trying to figure out like who I should call next about it, you know, and she, she helps me through all that. And, um, and so I think it's, you know, at this point, it's like a part of our relationship. And, and, um, and we just, we view it as something that like we should do for the time we can do it. And then <laughs> we can't, we won't. And someone else will, you know, but I think uh, it's, it's, it is a real balance, but again, I, I, you know, I can't say enough that I just think ultimately it's, it's so worth it. Um, even though it's so hard, you know? Yeah. And I have to say at this moment when so many people are focused on how toxic politics is and, uh, you make a very strong case for just the the positivity and the benefits of of what comes from trying to serve the community. So it's awesome to hear. So we're getting close to our time. I just have two more questions for you. And the first is, so you've served at the local and, you know, on, on the city council, and now you're in the state Senate. We often hear yep. people saying just like, how do I choose which level to run at? And I'd be curious, mm. how, like, how do you understand the impact you've had at these different levels and and how to think about you know, what it means to try and get elected at these different levels. Yeah. And um, it's so important. And people who I think don't run for office, they're often like, oh, you're just, you're just moving up. You know, you run for this, then that, then that, then that. Mm. 
But all these offices are really different. And it's so important for you to ask yourself that question. So for me, um, at the local level, part of why that initial decision um, got made for me was because I was, I've always been interested in affordable and workforce housing. So I've been a a housing advocate for a dozen years. And the thing that can affect housing the most is the zoning ordinance. And the zoning ordinance is enacted by the city council or in smaller towns, the board of selectmen. So Mm -hmm. for me to serve on the city council was a place where I could directly impact the zoning ordinance, which was the issue I had always been involved in. Um, So there was a really direct connection for me there. Mm -hmm. It, you know, going into office, that's how I felt having served. Of course, I realized that that's just one of 200 issues, you know, in your portfolio, but, but it was the thing that mattered. And, um, and in my first two years, I was able to get zoning changes passed, you know, over the voices of myriad people who said, you'll never get this done. We've been trying to do it for 30 years. And so that was really cool. You know, um, when it came to the state level, I felt like there there was and there wasn't as clear of a connection for me between sort of my background and and the office. You know, some of the things we've talked about today are a clear connection like LGBTQ issues and, right. you know, discrimination are state level issues. They're really important state level issues right now. And so those are things that I can represent on. You know, um, there are some things you can do on housing, but, you know, all of a sudden I'm also sort of in the position of being a women's rights advocate and, you know, reproductive rights advocate. Mm -hmm. And those are things I didn't necessarily anticipate needing to be, but because of my experience and and where I am in my life, you know, those are things at the state level I'm well positioned to do. So um, I think you have to, you have to feel a connection to the kinds of change that happen at the level you're going to run at. And, and that, you know, that should feel somewhat coherent to you when you sit down to write your platform to run for office, you know, I can stand up for you on these issues or I have knowledge on these issues. And those should be things that are affected by, by the office that you're running for. And that's not, Mm -hmm. it's not easy, you know, Um, it has to be the right match. So I think it's really important. Super helpful. That's great. So one more question for you. Um, As we mentioned, it's Pride Month 2021. It's such a complex moment. There's signs of amazing progress around acceptance and equality. And at the same time, there's waves of laws that discriminate discriminate against members of the LGBTQ plus community and violence against the trans community. And so the question is, what do you hope Americans are thinking about and reflecting on during Pride Month in 2021? Oh, what a nice question. Um, I hope people are remembering that history is long, um, because we're on the right side of this and our world is moving towards acceptance and understanding and equality. Um, but we're just, we're having some serious growing pains and we're in the middle of that right now. And I think, um, our last president was an example of those growing pains. Um, you know, our new president <laughs> is an example of a person who has grown over his life mm-hmm. and has seen America change um, and has really embraced that more so than I thought 
a lot of people give him credit for during the election. So I I see that change every day. I see it through even people like my mom and my in-laws who, you know, they didn't know <laughs> what it was like mm. to have a modern family of two women <laughs> and whether they have grandchildren, but, you know, they've learned and grown with us. And, um, and that is replicated all around me. And I think that um, increasingly um, pe- people are touched by diversity or or a personal experience that helps them understand that this is the right side to fight on and um and it's simply becoming i think somewhat unacceptable to say well i'm not involved in politics because i think we just sort of recognize what a privilege that is and Mm. and i i think that will continue to become more and more the case i mean i think this next generation of children is they're fired up informed, active mm-hmm. generation of children that we've ever had. I mean, we have four-year-olds telling us that our parents believe we recycle better, you know, so I just think, uh, I think we're, we're coming into the light, but uh, I understand that it's just, it's a tough time right now, and um, I hope we can all hang in there. Awesome. Well, again, I'm inspired by your uh, your optimism and just the the uh, positivity that you bring, and for all the different ways that you've that you've served, um, and the kind of example, the representation you're bringing to this. So, just Rebecca, thank you so much for making time to be with us. Really appreciate it. Yeah, well, thank you so much for having me, Max. It's awesome to take a minute to think about all this stuff. This has been the New Politics Podcast. I'm your host, Max Clow. Thanks for listening. And I hope you'll join us for our next episode when we meet another servant leader who has chosen to step up and serve through politics. If you want to learn more about New Politics and the candidates that we support, please check us out online at newpolitics.org. And if you're a fan of what we're doing with this podcast, I invite you to become a subscriber and give us a positive rating. It's a small act that helps us out in a big way. And if you believe in the work we're doing here at New Politics, please consider donating via our website to support our efforts to revitalize American democracy by bringing more servant leaders like Rebecca into politics. And I'll leave you with this question. How do you feel called to serve at this critical moment for the nation? Thanks for joining. See you next time.